Welcome to All Are Welcome, an Evergreen Christian Church podcast. Today, we have a sermon for you. Please join us in listening. A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Folks who attended or listened to our Bible study a couple of weeks ago will remember this passage. We read a very similar passage from Luke 14, and I mentioned that Mark has a similar passage a passage about the costs of discipleship, and here it is. What is interesting about this passage is that the lead-up to that famous and startling phrase Jesus says in verse 34 and 35, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses theirs for me and for the gospel will save it. The lead-up to that is pretty interesting. Right before this passage be read together, Jesus is asking the disciples who the crowd thinks he is. And many thought he was John the Baptist. Makes sense, a case of mistaken identity, I suppose, although John the Baptist frequently said, I am not the one that is coming. Many also thought he was the prophet Elijah. Elijah, the prophet, never died, rather Elijah was taken into heaven and was prophesied by Malachi, or rather, the prophet whose words are written in Malachi. Malachi means my messenger, so it's likely that the prophet was not named Malachi. But anyway, in the last book of the Christian Old Testament, it is prophesied that Elijah would return. So when folks followed Jesus, when they heard him speaking and teaching, they thought, surely this is the prophet Elijah returned. How could any other man have such authority and insight about heaven? While the crowd misidentifies Jesus, Christ's closest disciple, Peter, identified him correctly as the Messiah. In this time, predictions or even identifications of prophets or rabbis as the Messiah was not common. There is not much we have recorded that indicates that there was even a commonly held standard for what the Messiah would do, let alone expectations for a coming Messiah. Jesus really had not fulfilled many of the messianic 
expectations at this point either. So for Peter to identify Christ as the Messiah, it would have been a sign of keen insight and discernment. And Peter is seemingly one of the only ones who understands. Which is immediately followed by Peter not understanding. The Bible can be ironic or even funny in this way. Peter understands right before our scripture passage for today and then doesn't understand just a few verses later. Or maybe Peter chooses not to understand a few verses later. This passage is one of the many times in the Gospel of Mark in which Jesus foretells his death. The scripture says he speaks plainly. It is necessary that the Son of Man must suffer, be rejected, and die. And of course, raised in three days. Peter rebukes Jesus for saying this. And I believe we are to presume that Peter rebukes Jesus for saying that Jesus is going to die. Jesus speaks the truth, yet is it uncomfortable truth. If you are Peter, you have understood who Jesus is, a Messiah. Jesus is not only your teacher, your rabbi, your travel companion, and your friend, but he is the Messiah, the future king of the Jews. In the same interaction between Jesus and Peter in the Gospel of Matthew, Peter even acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God. Peter has placed a lot of hope in Jesus. Jesus is so much more than just a rabbi to Peter. And now Jesus has said he's going to die. Peter does not like that. This most likely scares Peter. Peter's placed his hopes in Jesus, and Jesus says he is going to die. That it is necessary for him to die. We've surely seen this kind of dynamic before. A person tells the truth, but it is an uncomfortable truth, a disturbing truth, a hard truth that nobody wants to hear, and so they get rebuked. They rebuke the truth because they do not want to hear it. Today, the truth is obscured by propaganda. The truth will be labeled as fake news, or the one saying the truth will be persecuted and demonized. How common is it to see whistleblowers have vengeance enacted on them for what they say, or to see celebrities who were abused or folks who were abused by powerful figures who spoke out 10 or 15 years ago, and now they're getting their time in the limelight, or their time in the light. They're being recognized as having been true or right, but back then, 10 or 15 years ago, they were smeared and vilified and called crazy, and they were rebuked for what they said. The truth has been spoken by the people. But the people do not want to hear it. They rebuke it. Christ responds with more hard truth for Peter. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely con human concerns. Which ties in with his next lesson. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. In the Lenten season, we're preparing our hearts, minds, and souls to accept the death and resurrection of Christ, to accept that Christ died and that the vulnerability and death of Christ was necessary. There is no victory over the grave without the grave. It is necessary for Christ to die. And Christ recognizes this, but Peter does not recognize it. The vulnerability of death is foolishness to Peter because Peter is concerned with human things, not with godly things. Peter's occupation is with the human conception of death, guarding against the risk of vulnerability. But Jesus knows that the glory of resurrection comes after the vulnerability of death. It is the lesson and the warning that Christ gives the disciples. To follow me, you have to be vulnerable. To follow me, you have to stop thinking about saving your life, but instead be willing to lose it. To be scared of being vulnerable is a human concern. To be willing to live life so fully we may lose it is something else. When Jesus spoke these words, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross, the crowd did not know the passion narrative like we do. But they did know crucifixion was a means of capital punishment enacted by the Roman Empire. They would have heard Jesus say these words and understood that following Jesus means they may be prosecuted and killed for it. Because the nature of following Jesus is in its very essence subversive to oppressive power. Following Jesus undermines tyranny in ways that threaten the tyrannical structure, and they may have to take up a cross because of that. In my lifetime, the United States has been affected by a foundation-cracking, status-changing event at least twice, if not three or four times. Events that should change life as we know it. On September 11, 2001, a coordinated terrorist attack on U.S. soil shook us to our core. In 2008, the financial markets collapsed and the housing bubble burst and the economy was devastated in catastrophic ways. In 2020 and 2021, the coronavirus has claimed at least 500,000 American lives, more than people who died fighting in World War II. And I think you could also put the Capitol insurrection on January 6, 2021 into this list of earth-shattering events for this country. And look how we as a nation have responded. Post 9-11, the scope of government surveillance into the average citizen's life and privacy dramatically increased. We have security theater in our airports, which time and time again have been tested and found wanting and ineffective. It doesn't actually protect us. It gives us the theater of thinking we are protected. And the country further embroiled itself in conflicts in the Middle East for the first time since Pearl Harbor, there was a real sense 
that the security of the U.S. citizen was at risk. And rather than sitting in that vulnerability, the country responded with a deep hatred. Lashing out at the other. An increase in hate crimes against Muslims and Middle Easterners. People were unable to accept that life is vulnerable and fleeting. Many people and politicians in this country directed their insecurity and their fear into hate. And it was a, an illusion that life has not fundamentally changed, but rather there are certain actors trying to fundamentally change life. And so to get rid of them would make things normal again. But things would never be normal again. They were hanging on to something that wasn't there. And COVID should have been the wake-up call of all wake-up calls. To see how damaged and fractured the healthcare and employment and economy of the United States is. It should have been the realization of how vital the health of every single individual is for us as a collective. It should have been a reckoning for the poor infrastructure and utility services of the inner cities and the rural areas of our country. It should have been a slap in the face to how little we value essential personnel. But again, we tried without success to pretend that life could just resume in the way it always has. I love that we thanked healthcare workers and essential employees, but we are now seeing a mental health crisis among healthcare professionals, and the average worker is just a paycheck away from disaster, and corporations have had the best year for profits, and maybe forever. We are so eager to have normalcy that people are literally losing their lives to the tune of half a million people. After the Capitol insurrection, the large fences are being put up around the Capitol, and there's much discussion about security detail, but we as a nation must address a system that fosters a cult of QAnon, and some may say purposefully fails to secure a process of democracy when the threat to that process has been known for a long, long time. And yet people are pushing to move on, like nothing happened, like things can just remain the same today. The Lenten road is about embracing the vulnerability inherent in life. Christ knew he must die. He knew he must die. When Christ said one must lose their life in order to save it, he did mean literally he would die to save life. His followers would be at the same kind of risk, but being a Christian and following the Jesus who was prosecuted and killed by the Roman state means being willing to lose life as we know it in order that life as it should be can be saved. Being a Christian means letting go of false senses of security and embracing vulnerability. I don't mean embracing vulnerability that is inherently harmful. Vulnerability is the possibility for radical change, the possibility that one will be made different than they already are. There's a difference from being at risk and being vulnerable. A person in an abusive relationship, for instance, is at risk. 
a person in a relationship that may fundamentally change their perspective of who they are is vulnerable. We mask our vulnerabilities with false senses of security, with risk assessment and self-preservation. Anissa and I are watching some very questionable TV. Some might call it trash TV. We watched these reality dating shows, and one of the contestants was sort of dating this guy since day one. And at a party, she went and kissed another guy. Then she immediately confessed to her boyfriend with some form of the idea of, I ruin things before they get too deep because I'm scared. It's like a classic excuse for cheating. I cheated because I was scared of how much this meant to me. This TV show is a silly example, but it is an example of somebody being so afraid of their vulnerability that they engage in some form of security theater, some form of self-preservation to hide away from what might be uncomfortable or make them feel vulnerable. Whatever they might have had, they try to get rid of it. They so desperately want to cling to life as they know it that they cut themselves off from life as it could be, and ultimately, they have neither. Being a Christian means being willing to lose life as we know it so that we can save life as it could be. It means letting this life around us die so that in actuality, life can be saved. It means denying ourselves, denying our self-preservation, denying our self-desire, denying the ways we fool ourselves into a false sense of control and security, and picking up our crosses to follow Christ. Crosses of what will the neighbors think, crosses of this is the way we have always done it, crosses of political punishment or social ostracism, crosses of our own fear and hesitancy. In our attempts at clinging desperately onto life as it was, we preclude the opportunity for life as it could be. We need to pick up our crosses and go where Christ is leading. You always give me an ear when my sermons may broach some kind of uncomfortable realm that touches the religious and the political and the social, and I want to thank you for that and leave you with this. Following Christ means being vulnerable. The Lenten Road is about the vulnerability of death. For us to walk down the Lenten Road, we must speak the truth plainly like Christ did. For us to walk down the Lenten Road, we must deny ourselves and take up our crosses. For us to walk down the Lenten Road, we must stop trying to save our lives, including life as we know it. It's only in vulnerability that we are liable for the glory of transformation. It's only in vulnerability that life as it should be may grow. Let us not be like Peter, who understands but not quite fully, who rebukes the truth because it makes him uncomfortable and embraces some kind of self-denial, denial of the truth because that is what makes him feel secure. Instead, let us embrace the vulnerability we are called to have as Christians. I pray this Lenten season, you can discern between what is risk 
and what is vulnerability and embrace the vulnerability. I pray that you are willing to lose life as you know it so that life as it should be could be saved. I pray that we can stop losing our lives by trying to save them. Amen.